0: Welcome to the False Claims Act Insider, presented by Price Benowitz. With more than 15 years of experience as an attorney focusing on Key Tam Law, Tony Munter explores the risks and heroism involved in being a whistleblower alongside distinguished attorneys. Sharu Razdani, who just joined Price Benowitz, and we're excited about that. And I kind of wanted to sort of talk a little bit about overlap between Whistleblower and the kind of work you do, but let's start with the type of work you do, which is OFAC, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't think very many lawyers even know about, much less um, the average person.
1: Yeah. So OFAC, uh, you're right. Most people don't know about it, but I'm sure... um... In the next couple of years, more and more people will learn about it. So OFAC is the Office of Foreign Asset Control. It's under the the Treasury Department. It's the um, it's the governmental organization that really uh, uh, handles all of the financial sanctions. So anytime you you know. If any time you have decided, oh, I want to go to Cuba and realized you can't, or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people who want to send money to Syria, Iran, or, you know, any of the embargoed nations, that's all under OFAC's control. How many
0: uh, embargoed nations are
1: there? Oh, goodness. Uh, there's a handful. There's, um, let's more
0: see. Two, right? I mean, more like-
1: than two, yeah. Syria, Sudan, uh, Burma, you know, they, these, well, There's embargoed and then there's sanctioned nations. And so Mm -hmm. what OFAC is actually looking to do more and more in the recent years is um, to kind of move more towards uh, sanctions regimes that are targeting specific individuals as Mm -hmm. opposed to full countries, because, um, as you can imagine, embargoes do put a chokehold on an economy. Um, But sometimes you have countries that, you know, the government owns everything within that country. So you really, you know, an embargo makes sense. Um, Cuba, for example, one of the big issues is people who try to travel to Cuba, you're not allowed to do any business with the U.S., or, I'm sorry, with the Cuban government under U.S. regulations if you're a U.S. person. Mm-hmm. But um, the Cuban government owns most of the hotels in Cuba, for example. So it makes it a little bit difficult to travel. Yeah. Um, so uh, OFAC has become a very big deal in the last couple of years because, um, uh, well, the government is requiring um, uh, private organizations, you know, uh, to comply more heavily with their regulations. Um, Not that they're requiring them to comply more heavily, but they're being more stringent about the fines that they levy against companies that don't uh, fall under, you know, uh, that don't uh, fall in line with what, you know, the OFAC regulations are. So, for example, if you are a bank and you are um, unwittingly sending money to someone who's on uh, one of the OFAC lists, mm-hmm. you're going to get uh, fines. and those fines have become bigger and bigger throughout the years, um, because uh, it's a financial it, it's a financial way of uh, of making sure U.S. foreign policy is being effective. So it really is, you know, I like to say it's kind of like the new way we're doing war. So it's no longer, you know, pe- men with guns. It's more you know, g men with fines. Um, So it's, it's a little bit more. um, It's definitely a very uh, fruitful place to be working now, just because it's also the regulations are not very, Solid. There's not a lot of very specific things within the regulations, so there's a lot of questions as to how to build compliance programs that uh, work within OFAC. Um, how to make sure that you know, as an individual who's looking to send money overseas, for example, how do you make sure that you're in compliance with sanctions regulations? Um, so, yeah, it's been a it's been a busy couple of years for OFAC and for me.
0: <laughs> well, that's good, I guess. Mm-hmm. So when you say fines, obviously my years, especially against uh, publicly traded companies, banks, mm-hmm. my ears pick up and think that could potentially be an SEC whistleblower action, um, yes. which one would file, you know, um, at the same time as reporting an OFAC violation, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Does that work? I mean, can you you do that would be Mm -hmm. my question. It seems like you should be.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so um, uh, just generally for businesses, uh, when a business finds that they have violated a a sanctions regulation, Mm -hmm. they need to report it to OFAC. There are certain sanctions regimes where if they if they violate certain sanctions programs, they also have to report those to the SEC as well. And so the fines would not only come from OFAC um, uh, if you were found to be in violation, but also from the SEC. So from a whistleblower perspective, um, you know, OFAC doesn't have a whistleblower office, mm-hmm. but the SEC does. So uh, if we were to report something from a whistleblower to OFAC, Mm-hmm. As you said, we would report it to the SEC at the same time if it's something that would typically be reported to the SEC.
0: And then, if the, the if there was a final action by OFAC and you had an SEC, you'd be entitled mm-hmm. to an award under the SEC provisions for That's another right. agency. Right. Um, does OFAC protect whistleblowers who report to it, or 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 not? Is that true? It doesn't have a whistleblower provision, as I understand. It. Is that right?
1: It doesn't, but uh They do, you know. When you go through an attorney, uh, you can be uh, guaranteed. Um, I don't like saying guaranteed, as you know, attorneys don't like saying guaranteed. But... You file it
0: anonymously, at
1: least. Right, exactly. You can, um, uh, yeah. you can have an anonymity element there. OFAC is very good about understanding that most people don't want to come forward without, you know, just on their own to say that there's been an OFAC mm-hmm. violation. Um, so, yeah. And some so of these the
0: you'd handle it is by filing both an SEC anonymously and an OFAC at the same time. And then if Correct. something were to happen, you'd be in a position or your client, I should say, would be in a position to collect an award. Right. There was one. And, and if I mean, if it really is war by other means, I could see where, you know, some of these fines uh, may get to be pretty serious. Uh, yes. They're trying to teach somebody a lesson.
1: It, they really do get very serious. Um You know, when it comes to the way they find, they find per transaction. So for example, if you're, let's say a, a trading like some sort of uh, organization that, that makes and sells goods. If you're selling goods to someone you shouldn't be selling it to and you do it more than once, every time you do it, that's a fine. So it's per transaction, not necessarily per customer and, uh, the amount of the actual transaction doesn't really matter as far as OFAC is concerned. So, if it's three dollars or three hundred thousand dollars, you're still in violation of the law.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then they can go do whatever they want, I suppose, with it. Right. Exactly. Have, have there? Does OFAC have like a lot of people working for it? Is it? Is it? Uh, do they farm out the investigations to the FBI? Or I mean, how does? How does? How mechanically? I mean, at the DOJ, we file something, and usually they haul in an agency expert or something like that, depending on the, the type of allegation involved. Um, does it work that way with OFAC, or how does it?
1: OFAC has internal investigators. They're um, size-wise, they, I would say they're they're medium. Um, they're, they've obviously been growing in the past couple of years because of the way sanctions have been going. Um, so you can expect. Uh, these the investigation to be kind of done in-house within OFAC Mm -hmm. they get some of these investigations become very complicated because um you know we've been we've been talking about kind of embargoes but some of the regulations that OFAC is concerned with uh are you know um there's people who have been on the sanctions list who have uh who are known terrorists or who are um you know potential arms dealers or um you know, uh, drug traffickers, things like that. So, um, there, there's, there's a whole world of OFAC that needs a very kind of specific OFAC investigators.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and these, these systems can get very complicated because, you know, there's a lot of money laundering involved often and money laundering involves a lot of kind mm-hmm. of, um, well hiding of money obviously but doing it through very kind of clever means as you would imagine so they're they're fairly well versed in the way to investigate those.
0: Well that's good I mean mm-hmm. that's that's very good. Uh, how long do the investigation take um, I said I, I was about to ask how long the investigations take but in my experience in in whistleblower law it can go from anywhere from 2 to 17 years in cases mm-hmm. that I've dealt with so with that sort of broad perspective <laughs> in mind, how how generally how long does one expect an investigation to take?
1: Um, um, you know, we I've I've not seen seventeen years. <laughs> I think that um, you know, depending on uh, so if we're talking from a whistleblower perspective, it really does depend on uh, how much information OFAC has already been working with with respect to you know who they're looking to to sanction so uh or who they're looking to find so if it's something that they it's an investigation that's already been in progress and the whistleblower comes forward with information that just kind of adds to the pile Mm -hmm. of evidence um we could be looking at a couple of months but sometimes these take up to to several years so Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah And it really depends on the, I mean, if it's just, if they're just looking into someone who violated sanctions, that's one thing. But if they're looking into someone who they're potentially adding to the list, then, you know, as you can imagine, it's a much longer process.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you know anything about there's been a, there was a change in the law with respect to being able to hide who was the incorporator? Uh, offshore, as part of the Defense Department Act, do you know anything about that? So yeah. I don't know if that's going to make it easier to track uh, foreign investments and that sort of thing. But they it just came down, I think, about two three months ago.
1: Um, you know, I I don't, but it's interesting because um, uh, you know, from a corporate perspective, for example, um, because the regulations with. OFAC are a little bit um non-specific let's say mm-hmm. um they the compliance um tools out there are getting more and more sophisticated and you thankfully have companies who are keeping up with these kinds of uh you know um new ways of operating, let's say, yeah. <laughs> and who've been very good at, at tracking that kind of information. But um, that's just from the corporate side, you know, within the government, I'm not really sure how, if it becomes easier or more difficult for them to investigate.
0: What do you mean the regulations are, are you saying that the regulations are vague? Uh, were they, they, they are. They are?
1: They are vague. And then um, when it comes to compliance from a corporate, uh, from a corporate entity, there's just not a lot of. Um, for a very long time, there wasn't a lot of organ, you know, companies out there who would who would be able to kind of keep up with uh, OFAC's requirements.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but then you do have some, you know, you have some things that become a, a little bit complicated, and again, the rules are are not as specific as you would like to think, or not as well laid out for a company. Mm-hmm. So, for example. Um, you know, there's, there's rules that say there's a 50% rule that basically says if, for example, I'm a sanctioned person, Mm -hmm. so I'm on a U.S. sanctions list, um, anything that I own, you cannot do business with, but then if I own 50% or more of a business, you're not allowed to do business with that business either. And yeah, so it becomes very, very specific and you really have to know, um, you know, what you're looking at, how you know, what, what the regulations are. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes OFAC will be able to kind of OFAC will publish the corporations that I own as a sanctioned individual for the most mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. But you're also responsible as a corporation to do your own due diligence to determine if I own 50% or more of a corporation or of a business that you're looking to do business with. So it, you know, and those aren't necessarily published. By OFAC. Oh, really? Yes. So it gets, it can get very complicated because, as you can imagine, you know, um, as a sanctioned individual, I could, I could keep going out and buying more things, or I could keep, um, you know, my assets within the U.S. are frozen, but I may have assets elsewhere. Um, It becomes very, very difficult for a lot of corporations are they
0: doing anything to try and tighten up the regulations and make them more explicit or or are you still (laughs) still, there's some bright lines that you can't cross that that are obvious but you you know regulate regulatory um fixes don't happen overnight so are they doing anything or is it
1: i think it's a process you know i think that um they are getting better and better about certain things they They uh, publish a lot of interpretive guidances that um, kind of help clarify some of the regulations. Um, And like I said, compliance tools are getting better as well. They're doing a better job of, um, you know, (laughs) with every fine that comes out, let's say, um, organizations put more effort into learning the regulations more and really trying to do their due diligence better. Um, So it's, uh, you know, it's a very... It's a very long process and one that's very, very complicated. And what you often find is that uh, a lot of companies, especially financial institutions, because they tend to get hit the hardest with sanctions, uh, with sanctions fines, they will what we call like instill over compliance. So basically, if they see the word and I see this happen all the time, you know, if they see the word Cuba on a on the memo line of a check.
0: They get very. That's
1: distracted. yeah. They they'll just they'll stop the funds on that check completely, know. and they might wow. b- block your account. Um, so just to be, it's always easier to go, you know, over the line. <laughs> Make sure yeah. that you're being overly compliant as opposed to the other way around.
0: So you work, I assume, on both sides. That is to say, if somebody were to come to you with a report of some really serious. Uh, Funding, funneling money that would violate OFAC, you you'd be willing to do a whistleblower report on that, but mm-hmm. you also work with businesses to try and make sure that they're compliant when they're doing. Is that fair to say? You're, That's
1: exactly right. Yes.
0: Okay, so you're you're open for. <laughs> to the coin, mm-hmm. uh, I, I only do whistleblower stuff, so I only handle plaintiff stuff. But mm-hmm. but uh, it is interesting. That it's a little different because when you do whistleblower stuff, you you go to court as well, mm-hmm. and you're you're. I'm envious in the sense that that it, it's somewhat easier, I think, to just do practice with agencies. And since you're doing practice with agencies, it seems to be a little bit easier to be able to do both sides. Um, I couldn't really do that psychologically uh, <laughs> with, with what I do. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm curious. I, I obviously read your resume, but I'm mostly curious how you got into this area of law and, and, and this is sort of my caveat about this, those of us who practice law in DC, it's a little different environment than almost anywhere else in the sense that, you know, I've got a friend who practices law in Pennsylvania and, He's a great lawyer, and, and, you know, if you need a divorce, you can do a divorce. If you need a real estate deal, you can do a real estate <laughs> deal. If you need a criminal defense lawyer, you can do that. Mm. You can't do that in D.C. you got to sort of very uh, find your – there's too many lawyers around. you got to find your niche. How would you find this one? I mean, it's really quite a, a extraordinary.
1: You know, it's um, – I kind of stumbled into it when I uh, – when I actually first graduated law school, I was doing human rights law,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I thought that that would be the path that I would take. Um, but then I uh, I learned about this firm that was doing specifically sanctions work, mm-hmm. and I have a background in international trade. Um, mm-hmm. It's a specialty that I studied, and it's always been fascinating to me. So I interned at that law firm and then just thought it was the most they, – they were – they some of the most passionate people I've ever met—they really loved what they did, and mm-hmm. it becomes infectious. Passion becomes infectious, you know. Sure. Um, and sometimes, as you can imagine, it's hard to find passion in law, just because, yeah, you know, it can be very boilerplate sometimes. But um, it kind of ticked all the boxes for me. It there's a human rights element to it, which I really enjoy. There's um, an international aspect to it, which I think is very interesting, and it's dynamic. It's never the same, you know. You one day you could be working on a case where Uh, you know, so let's say someone is, is whistleblowing. And that's a very interesting aspect of the law. Um, But then the next day, you're also working on a case where, you know, there's um, uh, someone, it's a civil forfeiture case, all of a sudden, because someone came into the country and had things that, you know, Customs and Border Patrol says that uh, OFAC wouldn't let you bring into the country. And so then you have to kind of work through that and see how you kind of figure out that that maze um and so it's it's always changing the fact patterns are always different you know it's not always just a a company trying to be compliant with OFAC sometimes it's you know I need to send money to my sick grandmother in Syria how do I do that you know things like that um
0: and that's really a problem I mean you can't just do that
1: it is it's it's a there's there's a lot of issues that um uh, people don't realize there's there's countries that you really just can't send things to at all sometimes you know, and there are exceptions to those regulations, of course and it's my job to kind of help you find those exceptions and whenever there's not an exception we can uh we can submit an application to the government to allow you to do that um but it's it's interesting and it's fun and so I got into that and it uh it's been the most interesting you know, field of law that I could have imagined. It kind of, uh, the short answer is I stumbled into it. (laughs) And the long answer was what I just gave.
0: (laughs) Well, no, I think that's right, though. I think that's what happens for good lawyers, is they they stumble into an area and then they find they like it. And then after a certain period of time, develop enough knowledge in that area of law that you almost can't get out of it. You sort of, you get obsessed with it. and, And any area of law is dynamic that way. Um, I guess what I find interesting about OFAC is I can see where, you know, the country is going to change in the sense of who's going to be sanctioned in the future, but they're going to have this mechanism that's going to be available to do this, which, right. will be, you know, it, it may be Iran or Syria today, but it may be some other country tomorrow that mm-hmm. for whatever reason, um, as you say, it's a lot less blood to, <laughs> to commit acts of war this way. right? Um, but um, I don't see this as being, I mean, I see this as becoming a more of a, uh, an expanding area uh, over time. Yeah. Uh, um, is that your sense of it or, or?
1: It is. And it's, I, I, I think so as well. I think it's, um, you know, if we look at it as kind of, uh, um, if we go to the war analogy or, or look at it from that perspective, which is, it's a little bit of a bloody analogy, but uh you know, this is with sanctions, you're able to kind of uh be more precise when it comes to uh who you're looking to kind of um target. Right. So, you know, when you, let's say you're going into war, it's not mass casualties of civilians, right. That's not what the aim of sanctions is anymore. It's, it's about, who are the wrongdoers, and how do we make them accountable for for their actions? so if you look kind of uh you know one of the 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 more um, recent actions has been against uh, uh, Myanmar Burma you know mm-hmm. so uh, as you probably have heard in the news, there's been a lot going on there with the coup d'etat they had and everything mm-hmm. and so uh, ofac has taken actions to specifically target people who um, you know were wrongdoers in that situation. So it's not about just um, attacking all of Burma or Myanmar. You know, it's, it's It's about
0: specialized. It can, exactly. Wow.
1: Yeah. And so it is going to be, I think, an expanding field. I think uh, more and more people are going to hear about it, even if they don't understand that it's coming from OFAC, you know, Uh, I'm sure everyone was well aware of the, the Iran nuclear deal. That mm-hmm. was going on a couple of years ago, and now it's it's back on the table potentially. Um, so that's going to be fairly big news. Um, you know, we could see Cuba opening up again, similar to the way it did mm-hmm. under the Obama administration. So it's a it's an element that I think is very uh, prevalent in the news and in the lives of most Americans without them actually realizing that it's. That it's happening or that you know OFAC is behind it and i do think it's going to continue to grow i think that that's become uh, i think Myanmar was a really good example of that where it was uh you know the once the situation happened it, it was a matter of of weeks or months before we started seeing sanctions roll out um for Myanmar so it's uh-huh. it's definitely become i think a bit of a uh you know first line action if you will so uh-huh.
0: <laughs> Well, thank you for your time, Sharu. This is a lot of fun. I have a, a couple suggestions for some blogs. Um, mm-hmm. and in particular, I'm working uh, um, with uh, the organization of people that that does whistleblower law called uh, Taxpayers Against Fraud and uh, in blogging. And at some point, I hope, you know, maybe we can write a joint blog about SEC and... and uh, um, uh, OFAC whistleblower law I think it'd be fascinating for I would love
1: that.
0: my membership to know um about this area of law because again I really don't think the whole world knows I mean you're very specialized and you, you know you have an outstanding room I somebody who did this for Amazon obviously has to have a certain level of ability in it and and uh, I think people should know more about it especially with you know, at least from my perspective, with respect to whistleblowers, having kind of this ability to report on it anonymously and maybe even getting an award for it. So um, it's a real great area. uh, And I appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the False Claims Act Insider. Be sure to check back next week for more insights into the world of whistleblower and key tam law with your host, Tony Munter. All episodes can be streamed on PriceBenowitz.com along with your favorite streaming platforms.